So that was worship. Hmm. Well, I am really excited that uh, this happens at Grace Chapel on Thursday nights. I can't tell you how. I mean, I, this is like the kind of church I come from, is what you guys just did. And it's really exciting. And um, this is for just 20s and 30s. Is that, you have to be... Um, I'm actually I, I'm 30 something I'm 30 18 um, no really I really like if the lights could come up that'd be awesome could we do that can we make that happen ah people cool um, well I'm Peter Dupre and I'm the, the worship pastor here at Grace official title is the pastor of worship in the arts um, and I was just so excited that I got asked to come and talk to you about uh, worship because, um, I mean, maybe I'm prejudiced, but uh, I think the Bible says that's why we're here. I think that's why we're created. Um, I think that's who we are. I think we're worshipers. Um, you know, even, even non-believers, they're wired up that way. You know, they're watching the World Series and they know how to worship, you know. You could hear the worship in the area when Dustin Pedroia hit his home run in the first inning. Um, but what I th- so I, I thought about what I could sort of bring that would be of value to you guys, um, because I know a lot of the members of your worship team because we play together, and I know where their hearts are at, and so I kind of know that you guys are being led by people who are worship-oriented people. But what I thought I would do is I'd give you a little perspective. Um, and give you a little history of kind of worship and how some of our misconceptions about worship get developed and how they got developed over, over time. Um, most of the time when people talk about worship, like if you go to a, a fancy worship conference kind of a thing, and sometimes I get to speak at those things, and most people want to hear about kind of worship history, how it developed. They want to hear about the tabernacle and they want to see that. One of the things that they very rarely do is they very rarely go back before the fall of man and look at worship. Before the fall, when things were good. Right after he created Adam, God looked and said, this, this is really good. And so think back for a minute in the Garden of Eden and what did worship look like? And really, this is why I want this to be interactive. What did worship look like? Can you think of any worship practices that you see in the Garden of Eden before they ate the apple? What? Yeah, that was good. That's good. Walking with God. They didn't do anything religious, did they? They really, you know what the expression of worship really was? I, I think I could boil it down to this. They, all they did was be who they were created to be. So Adam, I want you, well, I was about to say, picture Adam walking around naked, but don't. <laughs> right. But you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. So, so, so Adam, I want you to think, think about the concept of Adam walking around naked. So, and, and Adam is, is walking around, and, and God created Adam to do what? To manage the garden. So he did. So he says, okay, here's the garden. It's a fantastic creation. Animals, big animals that look scary really aren't. They won't hurt you. It'll be great. And what he discovers is he discovers that, that there's no uh, suitable helper 
for Adam. And one of the things that's a little bit disturbing, he discovers this, and, and then says, okay, and while we're thinking about that, Adam, that you're pretty lonely other than with me, you need someone more like you around, but I got a little project for you. I want you to kind of walk around in all of creation. And the Garden of Eden was huge. I don't know if you really think about this. If you read the description of like the four rivers and everything, this isn't, your, this isn't like, this isn't like, like the Carlisle Conservation Land. This is like, this is like Yellowstone. Or this is probably as big as the United States. Who knows how big it was? But it was probably most of Mesopotamia. Okay, it was a big, 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 big area. Okay? So, um, so anyway, he's walking around like some kind of naturalist guy looking at trees naked. And the Bible is, mentions the naked thing more than once. So it's important. I'll tell you why in a minute. So he's walking around and he's, and he's just... Let's say, okay, that that's, looks like that other pine tree, but that's not exactly that other pine tree. God, what is that? God, that's a different tree? Yeah, okay. And so he's, he's cataloging stuff, and he's naming all the animals. So this takes a very long time. If you figure how long it would take to kind of catalog the animals in the garden, it was probably like, you know, at least 100 years, a long time. So then Eve comes along, and there's just this incredible love relationship. And the thing where it leaves us in the story is, they were naked, and they were not ashamed. Which seems like an awfully strange thing to sum up all of the creation story with. But it's not. Because the premise that I'm kind of starting with is that worship is, before the fall, is being who you were created to be. Being the child of God that you are. You know, if you're a singer, you sing. It's like if you're a bird, you chirp. If you don't chirp, it's not pleasing to God. If you chirp, it's pleasing to God. You know, if, if you are a writer, you write. If you're an athlete, you play sports. When you do what you do because it is what you are and how God wired you up, that is very, very, very pleasing to God. And when you don't do it, I think God's really disappointed. I think he's really disappointed when you don't do it. So, then the fall happens. And we see throughout the entire Old Testament this desperate attempt desperate attempt to figure out how to get with God. At first, at first, people seem to be really fixated on, on where God is because they were with him all the time. Now they're not, and they're trying to figure out when God shows up, that must be a holy place. And so I'm going to do something like stack some stones. Have you ever heard they're building an Ebenezer, you know, for God? Up a, a, a stack of rocks, a memorial stone, because they want to be able to walk through and say, oh, this is where we ran into God last time. Let's, let's stay here for a few days and see if he shows up again. They were really weirded out about how to get to God. And so God was trying to be helpful and was. And, um, and, 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 and he's trying to create a relational kind of deal with man again. So how does he do it? Well, first of all, you really have to go all the way to Abraham, you know, all the way to Abraham and say, well, I mean, it's only a few chapters in the Bible, but it was a long period of time. And you get to Abraham, and he finds someone who's willing to walk with him again, you know, who isn't into the religiosity of worship and just wants to have conversations. Now, there's a long period of time between the, I don't know if you guys are really hip to this, but there's a really long period of time between the conversations that Abraham has with God. We kind of lose that because, see, in our Bibles, it looks like this. Oh, he's talking to him again. But if you realize all the, the time, there's time in there, and sometimes we miss that. 
So, so still, it's really hard for these people to kind of get with God. But Abraham believes God, and it's credited to him as righteousness. And what's he called? Friend of God. He's called God's friend. So we see this relational thing. So God hasn't really changed his worship thing, right? He's still doing the personal relational worship thing, okay? But in this attempt that he has to, to reach man for man to get it, he does a bunch of things. Um, when, when the Israelites go into captivity, they have a very hard time worshiping because they focus most of their worship on where God is, and now they're not there. <laughs> so so they're, they're in captivity in Egypt, for instance, and, um, and their worship life really kind of gets bad. And it's interesting that when Moses is asked by God to, to go and ask Pharaoh to free the Israelites, why is it that he asked the Israelites to be freed? To do what? Do you remember? To go worship him on his holy mountain. Okay? Now, it's interesting to me, how many people here believe that God lives on a holy mountain? Good. No hands. He doesn't. Okay? He doesn't live in anything made by man or made by him. He's beyond outside of all of that. Okay? But he, it's interesting to me that he, that he says, come and worship me on my holy mountain. Why? Because the only way they could think of God at that time was that, oh, God has a place. Because they were very place-oriented still. And then God does something miraculous after that. They come out, they worship at the mountain. It goes kind of bad because they got this golden calf thing going on. We won't really go there. But what happens after that is, is really neat. God gives Moses the law. And, this, and the law is how to live in community and how to be able to be approachable to God. And so people uh, get, get kind of into that. And then he gives them a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is now among the people. So the place that God is, is among the people now. And it's actually in the center of the people. So God is, is teaching them. He's, he's continually teaching them. He's, it's basically, you know where I am? I, I'll tell you where I can be found. I can be found in the midst of you if you are my people. I can be found in the midst. And that becomes very important later on after Jesus comes because he uses that kind of imagery later on. So then the tabernacle is, so the, is the center of worship and, and worship starts to get very ritualized. And this is one of the very big things I want you to take away is that we have a tendency to make everything into a formula. People do. Do you know that if you take a synthesizer and put it on a random tone generator, and ask this actually happened to me, so I know this, that, and you ask a bunch of music students, okay, pick out the pattern. Everybody in the class will pick out a pattern, and there is none. There is none. We want to make patterns out of things. We want to put God in a box. So, so God gives us some guidelines to live by, some rules to live by so that we can find him, so we can be with him, so we know how to approach him. Why? So he can be in relationship with us, so we can have a personal relationship. And we get so focused on the religion that's provided for us to get to God that we forget about what is beyond that and we don't get personal with God. You know, so how does that work out in, in, in real life? The way that that worked out um, in, in Israel's life was they were doing all the rituals, but God was rebuking them through his prophets and saying, how can you fast and yet you exploit your workers? You know, the religious stuff is not what I'm after. The religious stuff was so that you could get to me, so we could be together, so we could be one-on-one. 
but you did the religious stuff and then you walked away. And by the way, that's why after we got pulled so wonderfully into the presence of God tonight, I didn't want to just start talking. I just wanted to be there for a while. Because sometimes we're so ready to move on with the next thing that when God shows up, we go, good, he's here. Let's move on with our agenda. It's like, wow. And I wonder how often God gets disappointed. Say, oh, they're here. Oh, there they go. How often that happens. But one of the things that's really neat that, that we see in Scripture, and I'm not even sure I can read this because it's kind of dark, but when you get to be about 3012, you get this farsighted thing. It's coming. It's coming, guys. I'm telling you. Um, when they take the tabernacle and give it a permanent home in the temple, this is a really important sort of development. Um, David was one of these guys who really got the relationship thing. If you read through the Psalms, it's so personal. It breaks your heart. It's like, it's like they're, having a, they're having love letters back and forth, he and God. It's just incredible. And he gets it, and he wants a permanent place for God and he raises the money and you know the story that Solomon builds it. And Solomon in 1 Kings, if you want to look at it, it's 1 Kings 8, uh, 27 through 30 if you have your Bibles. He starts off and he's very proud of the religious thing that they've done. He says, well, look at the temple that we've built, Lord. You, I mean, it's like you ought to be so proud of us. Look what we did. Isn't this great? And then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him, and his whole speech kind of changes. And this is what he says. I'm going to read this as best as I can. Okay. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. O Lord, my God. He's getting very humble here. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there. What does that mean, my name shall be there? Any thoughts on that? What do you think that means? It's really important. What do we mean when we say we pray in the name of Jesus? What does that mean? We pray in the agreement with Jesus, we pray in the purpose of Jesus, we pray in the authority of Jesus, those kind of things. It's the same thing. My name will be, my rule, my rule will be there on, on the temple and in Israel. So that you will hear the prayer of your servant, that your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Solomon got it for a minute. <laughs> um, that God wasn't there. God wasn't in a place. But God would hear from heaven. And God would, would inhabit Israel if his name was on Israel, if his name was on the temple. So as long as Israel is in agreement with what God is doing, his name is there. His authority is there. His power is there. And so that's what it means. So the temple is a sign that God's in Israel. And now we're going to fast forward because Jesus comes to earth. God comes to earth now, which is something that still is absolutely incredible to me. Um, I, I've never been a big Christmas person since I became a Christian um, because I feel 
so bad that God had to endure the cross for us that Christmas is the beginning of his walk to the cross. That's the only way I can look at it. I, and it's a bad thing. Maybe I'll get over it someday. But I've never really gotten over his death. And um, Good Friday is, 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 a, is a day that that's where I kind of finally get reconciled with Christmas again. You know, that he came in the flesh. It's such a remarkable thing that in the early church, you know, you know you read all this stuff that says that the early church didn't believe that Jesus was, was, was God. That's, that's absolutely false. The, the absolute opposite is true. In the very early church, it was so evident that he was divine, they didn't believe that he was a man. They believed that, that it was probably God pretending to be a man because God would never become a man. That's so, it's such a ridiculous notion that the God of the universe would actually enter into a human body that they found that hard to believe. So Jesus comes along, and Jesus kind of starts to blow up all the stereotypes of worship and religion and religiosity because it's all about being personal. And one of the great scenes in the Bible is the woman at the well. which is in John. It's in uh, chapter 4. And after Jesus has told this woman a lot of things about herself, she says to Jesus, Sir, um, sir the woman said, I, I see that you're a prophet. And so she says, I've got to ask you a question. And so she asks a question about where we should worship you. This is the, they're still stuck on this at this point. Um, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but uh, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. There's that, remember, again, we're talking about the hung up on where God is, where the place is. Um, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you shall worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So God is spirit. Are we spirit? Partially. Partially, right? Okay. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit, you know, is in collusion with your spirit, hopefully more of the Holy Spirit than your spirit, to worship God. This is talking about personal worship again. This is, if you're going to worship God, a person who is spirit, you need to worship as a person to God. And he, and he goes deeper into this. Location doesn't matter. That's what he says. Worship needs, people need to worship in spiritual truth. They need to worship from their spirit as people, a personal thing. Um, and we must relate to him personally. So the temple says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Um, Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So the temple, this is really important. So this, is all, this is all coming from the teachings, the teachings of Jesus. So if the temple was the place where the name of God was, and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then that means that God's name is on you. 
And so when we get into New Testament worship, the religiosity goes away. The rules go away, as, as actually was said earlier in the worship time. I was really delighted to hear that. The rules go away. There's no religious pattern that gets you to God anymore. It, it's, it's, it's gone. We worship in spirit and truth, and you, your life, your life is meant to be an act of worship in the way that you live it. And the question you have to ask yourself as a worshiper is, does your body tell other people that Christ has rule over your life? Like the temple in Jerusalem showed the world that God had, was ruling over Jerusalem. That's what worship is. And we make it so, so confusing. What, what did it say in Romans 12? You probably all know this verse, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Sacrifices used to happen where? In the temple. In the temple. Okay, where do they happen now? In the temple, okay? It's no different, okay? Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of... Ah, but still, somehow we don't get it. And I don't get why we don't get it. And I think the reason why is I think that we've turned, I think we turned the Bible a little bit into something I don't think it was intended to be. It was never, it was really never meant to be an owner's manual. You read that thing about the thing, it's like read the manual, you know, that idea. It's not, a, it's more like a love letter than it is a manual. It's a relational doc, it's the history of God's relationships with people and his desire to have a relationship with you, it's kind of an unrequited love letter in, in a lot of cases. And so, well, let me tell you a story that Jesus told. Would you close your eyes? I want you to hear this with fresh ears because you've heard this story a million times. I'm going to read it slowly. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son through his arms around him and kissed him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Look up for a second. The only thing he had to do, the only thing the son had to do was get up and go to his father. It's the only thing. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And when he gives his big, I'm sorry speech, it was like, yeah, 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 bring the robe. And, I, you know, he was just, I know you're sorry, you wouldn't be here. That's, that's our Father in heaven. And the thing is, is that you notice this is a son returning. So I think this is just about a much about us being relational with God as it is about salvation. Because I think that there's times when we are in a foreign and distant land as believers for a long, long time. And I just love the fact that it says, so he got up and went to his father. And then we see the perspective of the Father. It's personal. Worship is personal. Whether you do it in a crowd, it's personal. And it shouldn't be so confusing. Because God gave us relationships on earth to teach us about relationships with him. So let's just talk about how to worship God for a minute, okay? In an earthly relationship, what are some of the ways that you would show someone that you love them? What would you do? Simple stuff. Spend time with them. How much time? A lot of time. A lot of time. I don't know how many of you people are in loving relationships, but try this on this person. I will spend 15 minutes with you every morning. Part of that time I'll be reading. Try that. Try that. See how that goes. I have a couch at my house if you need it. Okay? Okay? Just how does it work with other relationships? So, so time, time alone together. Well, how else? Throw out some ideas. Sacrificing something of yourself to that, to that person. Exactly. Being sacrificial. That's huge. It's really huge. Especially with women, that's huge. Did you know that? That's really huge. There's a funny thing that you learn in marriage conferences. I don't know how many of you folks are married. But um, they did this big survey. Um, I think it was focused on the family. Did this big survey on, on when is your mate. There's like people who've been married like 10 years. When is your mate sexiest was the question. And so for guys, it had to do with what they were wearing. Oh, I like it when, you know, 
And for the women, it was when he bathes the kids and puts them to bed. Ooh. I had dishpan hands, man, after I saw that uh, thing. <laughs> okay, so what else? Being sacrificial is, is huge. It's huge, yes. Praising them, yes. Now, in people, it's, it's a, you know what? You're just, you're just awesome. We do that with people, and we run out of words to say sometimes. And so, you know, you, you, so we say stupid stuff sometimes, you know? We do. We do. And, and if you're really in love with God, you will say stupid stuff to God. I used to always joke that, that, that one of these days I'm going to write a worship song that's just like, you st- it, that's the whole song. Works in all languages, too. So, so, so what else? Come on. Authenticity. Yeah, being truthful. That's a, that's a great one. Adore. Yes. Adoration. Adoration. Oh, that's big. (laughs) Listening is. Can I get a witness from the women in the? Is how important is listening in a relationship? Would you really believe that any man loved you who didn't listen to you? Out loud, please. No, no. This is also a relationship conference for the men tonight. Okay. No. How about singing love songs? Do you ever do that? I do that. I do that. Back in the days when I was very, very poverty stricken, that was about all I could, I could get my wife for any kind of gift. So I would record a song and here you go, and write a song and give it to her. It was nice. Come on. Get to know what they like. Yeah, this is huge. Deferring to the other person's like and dislikes. As a matter of fact, this is such an important one that this is the key to being transformed into the image of Christ. Did you know that? I mean, have you ever been so in love with a person? I mean, like the 16-year-old crazy kind of love where, where like, you're, like the phone is just off the receiver and you're just like doing homework and you're like, You know, I I mean, I remember that. I'm still sort of silly like that with my wife. I mean, it's just, you know, it's that that sitting and not saying anything and just like, you know, you get like that. And then over time, you find yourself adapting your likes to the other person's likes. You start going to movies you will not admit that you've seen (laughs) and liking them. You know, you sit through sporting events that you didn't like, and over time you will actually become a fan. Guys start to like ballet. Women like auto shows. Strange things happen. And you know what? It's absolutely authentic because your likes become the other person's likes and vice versa, and their hates become your hates. You know, there's food that I, before I got married, I used to eat it all the time. We never eat it anymore. I haven't seen it in my house for, for 28 years. That's how long I've been married. Okay? So that's a very big one, deferring. And when you do that with Jesus, over time, you start to love nature. And you can't 
understand how we could be so bad to the planet anymore. It changes you. And you hate poverty because Jesus hates it. And you love people, even the unlovable ones, because Jesus does. And you hate injustice. You love holiness and you hate sin. You love God and you hate self. And there's a healthy way to hate yourself. A very healthy way. So we haven't figured out yet why Adam and Eve were naked and it was okay. The reason why was they got everything about who they were from God. They never even thought about it. Can you imagine being that undressed before God? All your identity came from Jesus. None of it came from your friends or your enemies. Could you imagine? Could you imagine that? That's the whole deferential thing, being deferential to God. Writing poems, taking a walk, acts of service, going to Jordan, celebrating each other, how about remembering special occasions? That's a big one with relationships. I remember, you know, um, I'm not a big date guy. I mean, dates like dates on the calendar guy. Uh, I barely know this is Thursday. And, um, and so, you know, but my wife is. My wife was one of those, it's our anniversary. <laughs> and it was like the anniversary of our first date month anniversary of our first date. By the way, we'd already been married for two months, so I was kind of focused on you know, the new stuff. Um, but that's really important, and it's important to God. So there are spe- what are some of the special events, the, some of the special days that we can celebrate with God? Oh, that's a big one. Day we were saved. Thank you, God. You know? How about the day that we got delivered from that financial crisis we were in? By the way, that's why journaling is really important. One of the things that journaling is important is for is remembering special days. As you go back and you read. I've got a friend named Jonathan Asker, who I just love, and I don't see this guy hardly ever. I, I, I see him like once every 10 years. But we're good friends, believe it or not, just to never see him. And every decade or so, Jonathan calls up and says, let's go together, out together and have lunch and let's talk about the wonderful things God has done. That's when I know he's in a really bad place. Because by the time we've gone through all the names that we give God, you know, you've heard all the Jehovah Jireh and right? We, you know, the God of the, of the sold house. We remember that. The God of the good marriage. The God of the reconciled family. The God, the God of the healed wounds. We go back and forth like this from things in our own life. And by the time lunch is over, we're feeling good again. Because we've remembered those special things. And God is very honored when we don't forget his mercies and that his love endures forever. So it's really not that hard to be a worshiper if we think about it relationally. Is it? It isn't. You know, when's the last time you wrote a love letter to God? 
I think they call it journaling now, but sit down and sit down with God, listen. Go for a walk with God and listen. Sometimes we pray so much that we forget to listen. Do you do that? Yeah. It's like, can you imagine? I mean, it's just you would not hang out with anybody like you the way that you act with God. You wouldn't. I mean, think about any of us. We, just, we wouldn't hang out with us. You know, so this is what it looks like, okay? You breeze into a restaurant. You breeze into Starbucks. Hey, let's meet for coffee. Great. Come back. Blah, 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 blah. I want, I want, I want. Blah, 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 blah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Blah, 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 blah. See ya. You know, and you wonder, and, and the thing is, is what I always kind of hear on the end of that conversation is, gee, I wanted to tell you your purpose for your life. Oh, well. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. So that's kind of the deal, you know, and I don't know how long I've been talking for. How long have I? I got a whole other page. Should I cut it? Am I done? No? Huh? You got all night? Okay, so here's the last thing. Okay, so what's church for? <laughs> since we're talking, you know, since it's a church, what is church for? Not what you think, maybe. Because, see, if you, because we understand worship, right? Worship is not about you. It's about God. But God and church and worship are not synonymous terms. Okay, because we think of church as the worship service, so we must think about it the way that we think about worship okay so the thing is is that so we would think okay church is not about you no church is all about you and god together okay how do i know that what does it say about um about the church and wh- and why there are pastors and teachers and those things right it says um it was he who gave some to be apostles ephesians 4 if you're looking on some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay? Well, pastors and teachers, and all this, those are all people who are sort of teachers in the church, right? So we are supposed to get something out, out of this. We are supposed to get something out of church. Okay? Now, it's not, it's not you get the songs you like sung. No, that's not it. Because it may not be for you. It might be for somebody else this week. You may, we may hit you six weeks from now. Okay? In a church the size of ours, you may hate what we do three weeks out of the month. But somebody's being blessed. You know, I mean, I have to share with you that, you know, we just did this cultural and urban awareness weekend. And that's when I get to go in to do some of the music that I really groove on. I mean, I, I, uh, we get to do things with beats that we normally don't do on a Sunday. And it occurred to me that when people are complaining because we don't do enough hymns at the 10 o'clock service anymore, and I'm thinking, well, we did one, yes, last week, but it was only one. And I'm thinking, and I feel, what I feel like saying I, wow, why can I be so honest with this group? I, this is weird. I'm vulnerable. Um, is I feel like saying, yeah, when's the last time we did something in Creole? Never. 
How long has the drought been for people, you know, whose love language is gospel music? They've been walking through the desert forever. So we did, you know, glorious, you know, last week. I'll tell you, I saw people come unglued that I have never seen dancing and jumping and because we're speaking their language. So it might be for you weeks from now. That's it. But you have to defer to other people in church in the same way that you defer to God in your worship. Okay? Because it, it's, it's not all about you getting what you want. That's not what it's about. But what it is about is getting filled up so you can do the rest of your week in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. It's about the equipping of the saints for acts of service. So they'll come together in unity and be built up to maturity to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what happens in church. And here's the thing. Do you notice that after Pentecost, they moved church from the last day of the week to the first day of the week? I don't think that's an accident. I think that so you could get ready to go out in the world and be Christ to the world. And you can't do that on your own. You need to be filled You need to be taught. You need to be filled up. You need to be with other people and you need to get with your brothers and sisters in Christ like you do here tonight. And you need to be honest with them. You've got to say, I got this person and I'm dealing with them. I'm having a hard time and I want to be Christ with them, but they're an idiot. I'm blowing it and I don't know what to do. You need to be able to do that. And that's what church is about. That is what church is for. And yes, we sing and it's great and we love it. But you know, when people say, I didn't get anything out of the worship, it's been my experience in life, and this might sound a little harsh, and I don't, want, I don't mean to be harsh, but the people who say that didn't need anything when they came in. The people who have put themselves out all week long, they're like people walking in. It's like a cell phone battery that's dead. They're walking in with a dead cell phone battery, and when you plug them in, they go... And, 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 they're, and they're just, those are the people getting something out. The people who have the full battery, you plug them into the wall and nothing's happening. They don't need anything. You know what I'm talking about? The people who worship the hardest on Sunday morning are the people who worship the hardest the other six days of the week. But it was the service kind, the sacrifice kind, and the giving kind, and all those kind of things, the people who were being Jesus. And I know, if, if any of you have been on, how many of you have been on mission trips across the world? How many of you have been on a mission trip across the world where you didn't really know the language very well? Okay. So you're out there and you're doing things that are so far out of your comfort zone, am I right? That you're just like, you know, and somehow I'm, I'm reaching a person, you know, who is dying in a hospital and they're feeling my love because they're asking, what is this love, what is this compassion? They're asking these questions. I can't say anything to them. I know like 12 words in Arabic. I'm not sure I use them in the right order. And, and so we're, you know, and these people are getting it. And when you're done, you're drained. And then you go into a, a prayer service in an Arabic-speaking church. And you wouldn't think you'd get much out of it. Oh, but your heart was burning inside of you. 
you, it, you just cannot believe how your spirit is being nourished in this place where you don't understand what's going on other than these people are brothers and sisters in Christ who know the same God that you do and are speaking to God and you just plug into them and you say, I'm just going to believe that they are interceding on my behalf like I do when I'm back home. And you walk out and you're filled up. That's what church is for. That's what church is for. But it, the, I mean, really, it, you know, to finish, I'm just going to finish because you guys get it. And I want to go to church here on Thursday nights from now on. But um, you guys are great. But the, um, the bottom line is church is as much about the other six days. Worship is about the other, the other six days because worship is personal. And the ways that we show our love to God are all the ways that we talked about tonight, which are the same ways that we show love to other people. By being deferential, by sacrificing, remembering, listening, reading love letters, writing love letters, and spending an awful lot of time. But God delights when we show who he is through the way that we live. And I just want to, I, you know, I know you guys get it. I saw the thing with, I saw the, the homeless thing, feeding the homeless and all that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what, there's no better way to worship God than to show people Christ through yourself by giving yourself away in Jesus' name. And then the name of Christ is on you. And it's clear to people that the, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit because God's rule is on your life. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, it awes us that you know us by name. It awes us that you want us to come to you like the prodigal son. That's all that you ask of us is that we come and you run to us and you embrace us and you kiss us and you give us strength to carry on in your name for another day. God, I pray that everyone in here would have a, a new view of a personal, personal style of worship with you. That they would seek out new ways to show their love for you just like they would for a or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife. Find new ways that you, that, that you could delight in them. Not that we need to impress you, God. That's not what it's about. But Lord, we do want to make you smile by being just like Adam and Eve, being who it was that you created us to be. And to show a world, a hurting, dying world, your love through our hands and feet. And we ask that you would give us many opportunities to show what your love looks like through us. God, equip us and change us. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate so that we might be more perfect worshipers and be the children that you made us to be. And we pray in the precious name of the only name that saves, Jesus Christ. Amen.